hey church, glad to see you here this morning. Uh, like AJ was mentioning, I just want to bring the bad news right now. Two, or Christmas is only two weeks away. Okay, you guys ready? Okay, one guy's ready. The rest of you guys are not ready. Um, it's two weeks away. Some of you guys are like, woohoo. Others of you are like, the horror. You know, it's all beginning now. Um, so buckle up, get ready for that. Uh, I know that we're super busy, especially during this, this season or this time of year. We got the, the parties and the get togethers, and maybe you got family coming to town. And then all t- on top of all that, you got all the, all the Christmas traditions that you do, and you got all the, the buying of presents that you got to do that you're not ready for yet, and just all this stuff. Um, just want to remind you, before you, this all gets kind of lost in the shuffle of everything, I just want to remind you of what our most important job as Christians is to do during all times of year, not just this time of year, and that is to do whatever we possibly can to reach as many people as we possibly can for Jesus. And so I just want to encourage you, use our Christmas services to invite people to Jesus. This is one of the best, it's one of the easiest ways to do that. I don't quite understand it, it's just how it is, but Christmas time is the best time of year to invite people to church. I don't get it. Um, Because it seems like it's the busiest time of year, but that's just the way it is. And so I want to encourage you to do that. That's why we have five Christmas services this year. Um, In case you can't make make Sunday or Saturday, we got a Friday. In case you can't make Friday or Saturday, we got Sunday services. And so we got got services over three days to try to hit as many people as you can. And um, we want to, we want to, we will be preaching the gospel uh, 100%. And so I just want to encourage you guys to use that with your family and friends, all right? All right. Okay, okay, good. Um, over the next three weeks, this is what we're going to do as a church. We are going to look at the true story of Christmas. Now, every single one of us, we're all in the same boat in the fact that uh, we all have a grasp, or what we think is a grasp on the Christmas story. Um, it doesn't matter if we're, we've been a Christian for decades, or if we have been, or maybe we're not even a Christian, you're sitting here because your wife or, or some friend drug you to church, and you're just kind of doing them a favor, and you're like, I just don't buy into this whole Jesus thing. Even you, all right, have some sort of a grasp on the Christmas story. And the story goes like this, at least in most of our minds. It's, well, you got this Mary, and you got Joseph, and, and they go to this little town called Bethlehem, and when they get there, there's no room for them in the inn, so they go to some stable, and then Mary gives birth to baby Jesus in the stable, and there's always like a cow and at least one donkey and a couple sheep that are there watching her and watching it all take place. In the meantime, you got these shepherds who are nearby. They're watching their flocks at night. You got this angel that like shows up to them and just says, hey, there's like baby thing going on. His name's Jesus. You might want to go check it out. And they're like, okay, we'll go. And so they go and they check out baby Jesus. And then you also got these like three kings or wise men. We're not exactly sure which one it is, but we know there's three of them. And they go and they also worship Jesus while there's this big star kind of hovering over the stable. And then you got Mary. She wraps Jesus in swaddling clothes, whatever that is. She lies him in a manger, whatever that is, and uh, she ponders it all in her heart, okay? That's the story we all know, right? That's the story that we're all, like, familiar with. And a lot, for a lot of us, that's enough. For a lot of us, we're like, I got it. Yep, that's the story. That's what happened. That's, uh, you know, th- that's, that's it. And you're sitting here, and you're like, and I believe, all right? That's all I need. But for a lot of us, it's not that simple, right? For a lot of us, we don't like to commit to things, let's say, so easily, all right? This is one of my things. Um, I'm just, like, bad at it. Like, I just don't like to commit. Sometimes Kate, she'll come and she'll say, hey, so-and-so wants us to go with them to do this in, like, two weeks. And she's like, so I'll just tell them we can go. And I'm like, I don't know. That two weeks, a lot could happen in two weeks. Something better could pop up. I don't know if I want to commit to that. You know, and it drives her crazy, right, Kate? 
Yeah, okay. <laughs> Drives me crazy. It's just, it's just who I am. I can't help myself. Um, but I just, you know, for a lot of us, we're the same boat where we just don't like to commit to things so easily. And what we want to do, especially when it comes to this whole idea of Jesus and everything, who, who Jesus was, is we want to look at the evidence. And I just want to say, if that's you and you're sitting here this morning, you're like, man, I, I'm not there. Like, I'm not fully committed. I'm not all about this Jesus guy yet. I just want to say, if that's you and you're just like, I just need, I would like to see the whole story. I'd like to hear the whole story. I'd like to see all the evidence. If that's you this morning, I just want to say, that's fair. All right? That is fair. You should feel free to ask questions. We're all about questions here. Right? There are answers to your questions. And that was the exact case, the same case for a wealthy, influential, respected, probably even Roman official who lived 2,000 years ago. And his name was a guy named Theophilus. See, after Jesus' death on the cross, no one could deny. In fact, even if, you, if you're questioning here this morning, whether you're buying into this whole Jesus thing, even you can't deny that something happened 2,000 years ago. I mean, something happened. Whether what that was, that's up for debate maybe for you, but you can't deny that something happened. And that's the same thing it was even in Jesus' day. Jesus dies on the cross and something happened. And that something was that Jesus didn't stay dead. By the way, you know what dead people do, right? They stay dead, okay? Everybody expects them to stay dead. But in the case of Jesus, Things were different, and he started to appear to people. At one point, he, peer, he appeared to over 500 people at one time, and people, as you can imagine, started talking about it. Everybody's like, dude, I just saw Jesus. What? Jesus died like last week. What's going on? No, I, I saw him. He talked to me. I touched him. You know, it's like that type of thing, and people started talking about it, and news of this Jesus guy, this unique figure in history, this unique person who claimed to be God who the Roman government crucified on a cross as a criminal, who then um, showed back up after his death, this news of this Jesus guy spread like wildfire throughout the Roman Empire. And eventually, news of this Jesus guy reached the ears of this man named Theophilus. And Theophilus, it sure looks like he's trying to decide whether or not he's going to follow or whether or not he's going to fully commit to this man who claimed to be God. Now, many people had trouble believing at least at first. Even the disciples, if you think about it, after Jesus' death on the cross, even the disciples are like, man, I'm not buying this. I mean, they're like, they're, they're troubled. I mean, they, they're just like, man, I really thought he was the one. I really thought he was who he said he was. See, it was when he came back. That's what changed everything. And now people are hearing this news that Jesus, hey, he didn't stay dead. Hey, he rose again from the dead three days later. And, and the story just seems too good to be true. It's too unbelievable. It was too amazing, right? It was the, the fact that God, right, who's almighty, who could do whatever he wants, he's all powerful. He sits, the Bible says he sits on his throne room in heaven and he's got Angels upon angels upon angels, mighty angels who are singing and worshiping him 100% of the time, day after day after day after day, telling him how holy he is as he sits on his throne room. Right? He's, the, the whole story, the whole idea that that God would come down to us and become one of us, born in the dirt on a rescue mission to save us. I mean, that whole idea is just unbelievable. It's too amazing. It's almost, it's almost too good to be true. And Theophilus, he seems to understand the magnitude of the story because if that is true, if 
the rumors are true that this Jesus guy is who he said he was, and if Jesus did what he said he was going to do, it changes everything. And I think Theophilus understood that it changes everything in his life. But he just wasn't there. He wasn't ready to fully commit without first investigating the facts. Um, This past week, I got a call uh, from somebody who said, hey, I'm an agent for Columbia Gas, and uh, I own this, like, besides my house, I own this, uh, like, little sliver of property in Fremont, super tiny, and um, and they were like, hey, we need an easement on your property, and I'm like, okay, so what's this mean? What's this look like? And and the, she's just like, we're just going to run a pipeline through it, and so we need you to sign off on this easement. Here's the contract, or here's, here's like, you know, what you need to sign. Go ahead and sign that, and I'm just like, man, I'm not quite there yet. Like, what's, what's this mean? Like, how big of an easement? What's the property that you need? Where is it going to go? Like, I need all this information. I feel like before I feel comfortable enough to sign something. Like, like I just don't want to commit to something that I just don't feel like I know enough about it. That's how Theophilus feels. And so he asks a Greek doctor, probably, let's be honest, probably his doctor, this man named Luke, to investigate if the stories of Jesus are actually true. He, he asks this guy named Luke to do the research, to ask the questions, to interview the eyewitnesses who are actually there. And so Luke begins his investigation, which probably took months, if not years, And when he's done, he writes everything down, and he writes it all down in order, and he sends his findings to his friend, Theophilus, all right? And so we're going to look through Luke's findings. We're going to look at the document that Luke produced saying, hey, this is what I found to be true, all right? We're actually going to look at this for the next few months. We're going to look at this all the way through Easter, all right? And and we're going to finish. But but we're going to start this here today, and this is how Luke begins. In Luke chapter 1, verse 1, he says, many Right, Luke starts right off the bat, and I wonder if, if Luke, as he's writing this, if he's trying to figure out, like, man, how do I start, like, you know, what's, what's the best way to start? And this is how he chooses, all right? He says, many people have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events. He's saying there's been a bunch of people. This is not, you know, this is the, in the first chapter, the first verse of the first chapter, the first word of the first verse. He's saying many people. This is not once upon a time. This is not some fairy tale. This is not in some galaxy far, far away, Okay. Right? Here's Luke, he's saying, I'm not the only one who has done this. I'm not the only one who is doing this, which is so weird, because if you think about it, right, nobody, like, like nobody in the ancient world would ever take the time to investigate and research and study and then even write up an account of the life of a peasant right, or of a day laborer, especially even a day laborer who's a, who's a criminal. Like nobody did that. But Luke's saying, but with Jesus, things are different. Because in Jesus, there's all this news, all this buzz swirling around. And he said, because of that, many people have researched this. Many people have dug into the claims of that Jesus was God. And so I just want to say this. If that's, if that, that's really why. So those of you who are questioning things, like if you're sitting here and you're wondering about Jesus, or if you're questioning Jesus, this is why you should listen in to Luke's book. This is why you should listen in to the things that Luke has to say. He's saying that's why so many were interested, because something 2,000 years ago happened. He says many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us. Notice he's not among them. It's not, oh yeah, in that place at that time. He says, no, this all happened while we were alive. 
He said, this has all happened among us. This happened around us. This happened while we were here in our area. He says, just as the original eyewitnesses and the servants of the word handed them down to us, just like the original eyewitnesses told us, Theophilus, right, told us what happened, he said, so it also seemed good to me since I have carefully investigated. This is not, he's just like throwing things out there going, I heard this rumor. He's writing down this rumor. No, he's like, I investigated. I went, I talked to the people. I, I pulled them aside and said, okay, can anybody corroborate that? All right, can anybody, can anybody verify that? He says, I carefully investigated everything from the very first, which is what we're going to talk about today, to write to you an orderly sequence, most honorable Theophilus. So that, here's the reason. So that you may know the certainty, so that you can be secure, so that you don't have to doubt anymore, so you don't have to question the things about which you have been instructed or the things about which you have been heard regarding Jesus. See, Luke's saying, I want to give you the whole story. From the very beginning, I've investigated, I've researched, I've studied it, I've talked to the people who were there, and this is what he says, and this, basically, the whole book of Luke, he's saying, this is what happened, and this is how he starts off. One day, next verse, one day, uh, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. He says, his wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, he says, both were righteous in God's sight and living without blame according to all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in years. By the way, this word named well along in years, it basically means um, old as dirt, okay? All right? These people are old, man. Um, Luke, he first introduces us to this random old couple. Okay, which is interesting because these people aren't, when we think of the Christmas story, none of us are thinking, oh, yes, Zechariah and Elizabeth. None of us do that, right? But here's Luke. He's like, no, 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 I'm taking you back further. He introduces us to this guy named Zechariah who happens to be a Jewish priest. And then he introduces us to his wife, Elizabeth, who who they both together, they weren't able to have children. And he says both of them are really, really, really good people. Both of them are righteous. Both of them are God followers. And the story goes on. He says, when his division, means Zechariah's division, was on duty, meaning when he went to go serve at the temple, there's a kind of some background information that you got to understand, and that is every year, like if you were a priest in Israel, right, every year the priest would leave home, so, so priest, their priest work wasn't like a full-time job, right? They would have their full-time job, but every year they would take two one-week periods and they would go and they work at the temple. Okay, so they take a week here, and then they would go back home and do their normal job, and then they would take a week off here, and they would go to the temple and work at the temple for a week, and then they would, after that week was over, they'd go back home and do their normal job. And uh, the temple, it took 18,000 priests throughout the year to run the temple. And so each day, the way this thing would work is they had all kinds of different jobs that the priests had to do. But each day, one priest, a specific priest, would go into the Holy of Holies within the temple, and they would burn incense. And uh, the way that the priest was chosen is that they would be chosen by lots, kind of like straws. If you got the short straw, the long straw, or whatever straw it was, right, designated, um, that would mean that you would be picked and that you would go into uh, the Holy of Holies, and you would do this work in there. Now, getting picked to be able to go into the Holy of Holies in the temple, which only one man was able to go into, this priest, all right, this was a huge, huge honor. This was a very, 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 very big deal. Um, it's like getting picked first, all right? It always feels good to be picked first, right? 
Okay, all right, so I think, okay, we can all, maybe we can't all relate at this point in life. Think back to gym class in elementary school, okay? Some of you guys were like pick first all the time, right? That was you, you're like, oh yeah, I was always pick first. Of course I was. Um, That was not me, by the way, we all hate you, okay, the rest of us in here, but we do want you on our team, okay, at the same time. Um, That was never me. I remember there was only one time ever in the history of my elementary, middle school, high school year, and I had to wait all the way to my sophomore year in high school. I think this was my last gym class ever. Um, I finally got picked first. It was the best day of my gym class life. And uh, I remember we were doing track and field, and so we were split up into like five teams. They had five captains. They were all up along the front, and then the rest of us were sitting down um, in the gym, on the gym floor, and I remember this girl named Kelly. She stood up, and she was like, I want you. And I was like, it's me. She wanted, I was picked first out of the entire class. And I remember standing up, chest out, walking over. I'm like, hey, hey there, next time, maybe better off, better off next time. You know, looking at all the other guys who are always picked first. And, uh, and I remember just being like, man, what an honorable thing. All right, to happen. This, obviously, this was a way bigger deal than being picked first in gym class. Okay. This, if you think about it, because they did it by lots, This is like God picks you, not Kelly, God. It's a lot bigger of a deal. And so that's what's at stake. Every time that that Zechariah would go work at the temple, which was two different one-week periods throughout his year, every time he would go there, um, he would be in the drawing to at least go work in the temple. And, uh, and to go into the Holy Holies and do that thing. And so, and so here he is. This is something that was, that was very honorable and something that didn't happen very often. And when he goes and he's serving there, it says it happened, Luke said, that he was chosen by law, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord to burn incense. Now, Zechariah, as he gets chosen during this time, I mean, this was the best day of his life. Like, remember my best day of my of my gym class life, this was the best day of his like, whole life, like personally and professionally. This was, a, this was huge. Um, not only that, but when he goes in there to administer the, um, when he burns the incense and all that kind of stuff, um, he had to do it the exact right way. This was not just an honorable job, it was also kind of, in a sense, a dangerous job because if it was not taken seriously enough or if he went in there and he did not do this with the right heart while doing it, um, sometimes what the people would be worried about is that God would strike you dead, all right? And so um, sometimes what they would do is they would actually tie a rope around the priest's ankle as they would send the priest in just in case the priest gets struck dead for doing something wrong in there and not taking God seriously enough. And so nobody, you know, if he's laying in there dead, like no one's going in there after him. And so they had that rope uh, sometimes. And so um, they could pull him out if they needed to, um, if he died in there. And so Zechariah, uh, he gets ready. It's the best day of his life. He can't wait to go home and tell his wife Elizabeth that he's able to do this. Um, this was kind of a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And maybe even he ties that rope around his angle, ankle and he goes in. Now, he has waited for his whole life for this moment. And he shuffles over to the altar. He's old, remember? He shuffles over there. And this is what he says. It says, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Now, for a lot of us, we think of this, we look at this, we're like, well, yeah, angel of the Lord appears to him, that's normal. 
Right? Actually, uh, because it's surrounding the Christmas story, we view angels in the Christmas story together a lot, right? Like, like angels, we put angels on our Christmas tree, and we think of angels as being like a main part of the Christmas story. But this was not normal, all right? For us, it feels normal. This was not normal to Zechariah. In fact, this is the first time that we know of within 400 years that people, that, that God has communicated to his people. It's been 400 years since they had heard anything from God from their last prophet. And so what we see is that throughout the Old Testament, that God had promised the Jewish people a savior. Right? He's saying, hey, I'm going to send you a Messiah. That's what they called him. I'm going to send you a Messiah, a savior who's come, and he's going to change the game when it comes to your sin problem that every single one of us have, meaning he is going to fix the relationship that we all have with the creator. Now, what do we need to save from? Our sin. Because every single person in here, we are all sinful. Every single person in here, we are all messed up, jacked up, horrible, terrible person. Okay, we all are. That's what we say here because it's, because it's true. All right, and so that's the same thing for the people back then. And throughout the Old Testament, God has promised them this person who is going to save them from their sin. And the issue that we have with our sin is that God is perfectly holy and he's perfectly just, which is actually really bad news for us. Because he can't, he has to punish sin. He can't just like sweep sin under the rug and be like, ah, that's cute. That's just not that big of a deal. Kind of giggle and walk away. That's not what God does. All right, God takes sin extremely serious. Why? Because he's perfectly just. He has to punish sin, meaning sin has to be paid for. Which, by the way, is a problem for you and me. Because God cannot be with sin. And it has to be paid for, and we don't want to pay for it. And so what God does is he comes up with a plan. And this happens all the way back with, with um, Adam and Eve. He alludes to this when sin first enters the world. All right, And, and here, years after that, thousands of years after that, he picks up one guy. This is actually 2,000 years before Jesus. All right, So go back in time. He picks up one guy, this guy named Abraham. And he promises to Abraham, he says, hey, someone is coming who will save the world. And he's going to be one of your descendants. I'm going to use your family line. And so Abraham's family eventually grows and they find themselves as slaves in Egypt. They're in slaves, slaves in Egypt for around 400 years. And then God uses, God uses this guy named Moses to bring them out of Egypt. And then God gives them the land, which is actually interesting, right where Israel is at today. And Israel and the Jews, they grow into a nation there. And they even have like kings and stuff. You got Saul and David. We just got done talking about David for, for a bunch of weeks. Um, and then David's son Solomon. You got all these kings. And really the plan was for the nation of Israel was, uh, God's plan was they were supposed to be the light of the world. They were supposed to show the world how to have a relationship with their creator, with their God. But it didn't take long that the nation of Israel began to look a lot like the surrounding nations that they were actually supposed to be influencing. And they abandoned God. And so what's God do? Well, he sends a bunch of messengers, all right, what we call prophets. And he sends all these prophets, and the prophets come on the scene. They're like, hey, you need to go back to God. Hey, you're, you guys have abandoned God. Hey, God needs to be number one in your life. And by the way, the Messiah is coming. The Savior is coming. The ultimate fix is coming. But you guys need to get right with God. And some did. But the majority didn't. And the majority abandoned God. Because of that, God allows other countries to come in and invade and defeat Israel. In the meantime, God is still sending prophets. I mean, 750 years before Jesus, God sends this prophet named Isaiah, right? And basically, Isaiah says, hey, one is coming who will save you. One is coming who's going to take care of you. He also says one is coming, and the sign that he will be the one is that he's going to be born of a virgin, right? It's going to be a miracle, something that's never happened before, something that's really impossible to happen without God. 
right? Then he says that he's literally going to be Emmanuel, meaning he is literally going to be God with us, this future king, this future savior, this future Messiah. And then 550 years before Jesus, you got Daniel. Um, he, he actually gets a message from, from an angel. It's actually interesting, the same angel that is talking to Zechariah here. His name's Gabriel. And this is the last time that we saw Gabriel, uh, 483 years before. He tells Daniel, he says, hey, guess what? The, uh, the Messiah will be here in 483 years. You can count it down to the day. He says, watch out, he's coming. Be ready. And then Micah comes on the scene. And Micah's the last Old Testament prophet. And uh, Micah says that the Messiah or the Savior, he is coming and he's going to be born. One sign is that he's going to be born in this tiny little town called, called Bethlehem. And then after he says that, all right, there's silence for 400 years. Where God's not communicating to his people. Until now. And so this angel appearing to Zechariah, not normal. It's freaking him out. That's exactly what Zechariah does. All right, he freaks out. It says uh, he was standing there to the right of the altar, and when Zechariah saw him, he was terrified, and he was overcome with fear. He sees this thing. It's not like the angel shows up and Zechariah is like, "Yo, what's up?" You know, he doesn't do that. He's like, man, where have you been? You've been gone for like almost 500 years. What's going on here? He doesn't do that. Zechariah's response is he's terrified and he is filled with fear. By the way, can I just point this out? That this is the typical response that we see almost every time when angels and people mix. All right, at least in the Bible. All right, angels and people mix. People freak out. It's kind of interesting because sometimes people will come up to me and they're like, yeah, you know, I, I saw an angel. I'm like, did you freak out? And it's never that way. It's, you know, it's always like, oh, yeah, lovely. You know, it's like, what? It's interesting because we view angels as like, I don't know, like grandma who died 10 years ago who's like looking at us and she earned her wings, you know, like that type of thing. And we're like, you know, she's my angel. I don't think so, okay? Uh, we also see, we view angels like little babies that are like kind of naked and they got like the arrows and stuff. You know, that's, we view angels as like gentle and cute. But that's not how the Bible describes angels at all. In fact, the Bible says that when angels show up, people lose their minds. That's what we see every time. They're otherworldly creatures and they're dangerous. And so Zechariah sees this angel, and he's immediately, you know what he's thinking. He's like, oh, man, I did something wrong. I knew it. I mean, I thought I had this, like, I had the process memorized, and did I do this before that, or did I, did I mix that wrong, or whatever, you know, whatever it might have been. You know, he's probably freaking out as he's standing there on that altar, by that altar, and he's probably thinking, I'm a goner. I am dead. But then the angel says to him, he says, do not be afraid. Maybe it's more like, don't die on me now, you know? Like, hey, hey, buddy, take it easy. He says, don't be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. He's saying, God has heard your prayer. Now, the question is, what's he been praying for? Well, there's probably a couple things he's been praying for. Number one, he's probably been praying for a child, right? Or maybe he was back in the day for, for a long time. I mean, especially within this society, I mean, having a child is, is important, um, and so maybe he's praying for that, or, or maybe he's also probably praying for the Messiah, that the Savior would actually come. He's probably been praying for both, and so Zechariah has been praying with seemingly no answer. Have you ever been there before? 
You ever been praying and prayed? You prayed, 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 and just nothing seems to change. It's like God, you just kind of feel like maybe God doesn't hear anything that you're talking about. Like, you're like, why am I praying? Why am I wasting my time praying if you're not even listening? You ever feel that way? See, we ask, I think, if you're like me, we ask for a lot of stuff. And probably the majority of our prayer is asking for stuff. Fix this problem. If you could remove this from my life, that'd be awesome. If you could heal me out and give me good health or, or heal that person, whatever it might be, you know, we ask, 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 ask. I'm not saying that's bad. That's not bad. All right, God actually tells us. He commands us to ask. He wants us to ask. But our issue is, with inside, inside of us, is we are impatient. And when the answer is not immediately or immediate, that kind of bugs us, and we start questioning God. What we end up doing is we question God. We go, God, are you here? God, are you listening? God, are you around? Do you see what's going on in my life? Some of us, we start asking God if he even cares, and then maybe some of us, we take it to the extreme. We're like, I don't know. God, do you care? Are you even there? Like, do you exist? And I just want to point out that just because you can't see it doesn't mean God's not working. See, Zechariah has probably spent years and years and years and years of praying for a child, especially within this culture. you got to understand this was a big, big deal. Um, if you didn't have a child within this culture, what everybody assumed around you was that you had done something so bad that God is punishing you. And think about it. Think about the awkwardness here. Here's Zechariah. He's a priest. He's a man of God. He's supposed to be this guy who's kind of pointing everybody to worship God. But here, from everybody around, they're looking at Zechariah. They're like, man, okay, you're telling me to worship God, but God is punishing you for something that you, that you have done that is so bad that he won't even let you have a child. And so that's kind of the culture around him. It was embarrassing to not be able to have kids back then. And here's Zechariah. He's probably been praying and praying and praying, along with his wife, Elizabeth, and seemingly nothing. And within the bigger picture, if you take a step back, right, it's been 400 years since anybody has heard anything from God, and the Jews have been praying for the Savior, and no one has shown up, and everybody's questioning it. But God is about to answer prayer in a big way. We've got to remember that even though it's not our timing, God is always working. Even though he does things the way that we wouldn't do things, he always hears. And so the angel says, we've heard your prayer. He says, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. He says, there will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and will never drink wine or beer, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of the Lord, or of Israel, to the Lord their God. And so here's this angel shows up. He's just like, hey, man, um, we got really, really good news. Uh, you're old. I get it. This seems impossible. I understand it. But uh, God is going to give you a child, and you are to name him John. And he's going to get a nickname we're going to find out later, which we're going to know him as John the Baptist. And uh, he's going to come before, before uh, Jesus. And uh, there's a reason why this baby is being born. And he tells that next. He says, he, meaning John, your son, your future son, will actually go before him. See, this is the big announcement here. This is, this is the first person that Jesus, that God chooses to announce this to. He's saying, hey, there is, there's somebody coming. It's him. It's Jesus. It's the Messiah. It's the Savior that we've been waiting for, that the Jewish people have been waiting for at this point for over 2,000 years since God promises to Abraham. He says, he, your son, will go before him because he's coming in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding 
of the righteousness to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. See, here he is. He's saying, hey, the, here's what your kid's going to do. Your kid is actually going to be the front runner before, before Jesus, before the Messiah. Your kid's going to be the one who's going to get everybody ready just the way that God wants him to, right? Your, your child, he's going to be, in the sense, the last Old Testament prophet, the last prophet that God is sending. And the, really, the most important message that the angel has here is not the kid. It's not that he's finally going to get a child that's going to do all this crazy stuff. It's not that he's going to get a child that he's been praying for for decades and decades and decades. The, the most important message that the angel has is that the Messiah is coming. He is coming. It is such great news. And it's interesting because here's Zechariah. He's kind of hung up on the whole kid part. He's like, man, I'm old. I don't think, you know, what's going on. This is what he asks. He says, how can I know this? <laughs> he's like, for I am old. I'm an old man, and my wife is all uh, well along in years. He catches himself. You see that? She's well along, okay? Basically, Zechariah's like, man, okay, here's the deal. Angel, can I call you Gabe? All right, Gabe. Um, I don't know if you understand how it works here on earth when it comes to having children, okay? But I am past my prime is basically what he's saying. You know, he's saying, I'm too old. You're about 50 years too late. Now, if you would have come 50 years ago, it would have been perfect. And so the angel, he looks at him, and the angel's just like, you kidding me? He says, I am Gabriel, all right? I'm the one who stands in the presence of God. It's like this idea that Gabriel's like, okay, I don't know what you do on the weekends, but for me, what I do on the weekends is I stand next to God, okay, in his presence. Kind of a big deal. He says, and God he sent me to speak to you and tell you this really, really, really good news. Now, what's the good news? That he's going to have a child? No. It, the good news is that the Messiah and the Savior is actually coming. John the Baptist, John, his son John, is just like a footnote in Jesus' story. He says, now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time, in about nine months or so. I believe. That's when this is all going to happen. I mean, it's kind of funny because here's this angel who's just like, here's Zechariah who's just like, man, I don't know. Like, I'm pretty old. And, and the angel's just like, think about it. Dude, you are in the most holy place on earth. You are here so holy that priests can die if, they're, if they don't take this seriously. And I'm an angel <laughs> who happens to be talking to you and I spend my free time with God and you're doubting and it's like this idea that, like, he's saying, hey, if you want, you know, you say you want a sign to know if I'm actually telling you the truth or not, all right, I'll give you a sign. Because you didn't believe, you will not be able to talk until your baby comes. And so Zechariah, he starts to respond, okay, okay, sorry, sorry, and nothing comes out. He's just like, oh, no, and nothing comes out. He can't talk just like the angel told him what happened. And in the meantime, if you remember, there's a bunch of people outside the temple who are all, like, waiting for him. And they're like, he's been in there for a long time. I hope he's okay. You think he, did he croak? You know, it says, meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were amazed, meaning they're starting to get a little worried because he's been in there for such a long time in the sanctuary. And so they're all kind of questioning each other, like, like, hey, you know, nobody wants to say it out loud because it's just awkward. They're like, should we give a little yank on that rope? <laughs> you want to do it? I don't want to do it. I mean, it's been like, you know, I don't know how long, how long it took, you know, two hours or whatever. You know, it's been a long time. It's been way longer, like twice as long as normal. I don't know. He was old. Maybe he, maybe he's like natural causes. Maybe he's natural causes. You know, he probably didn't, you know, and they're just like trying to figure this out. 
It says, so they're doing that. And when he did come out, eventually he could not speak to him. So here he is. He comes, you know, coming out. He can't speak. And then they realize that he had seen some sort of vision or something happened within the temple. And he was making signs to them. And he remained speechless. I mean, he's just like, you know, you know, he's just trying to figure it out. He's like, I can't talk. It says, when the days of his ministry were completed, so he stayed the rest of the week, okay? And then he went back home. And when he gets home, lo and behold, his wife becomes pregnant. Imagine the reaction like on the, like with their shuffleboard friends and bingo friends. You know what I'm talking about? You know the ladies are just like, you're what? You're having a, at your age? You know, they're just like unbelievable. Like, I was, What? And the men are just like, nice. You still got it, you know? See, it's a part of the story that we often overlook. See, Luke chooses not to start his story with Mary and Joseph. It's interesting. He's the only one who does this. He goes back further than that. Instead of a young, newly engaged couple who, who are expecting a child, he picks an older couple who have been married for many, 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 many years who can't have a child. See, the story of Christmas doesn't actually begin with a pregnant teenager talking to angels. It begins with an elderly couple who could not get pregnant and who wanted a child who prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for years and for decades, maybe even gave up on praying for that at some point in their life. But God shows up and he answers their prayer. And much more importantly than their, than their prayer and their request for a child, he answers the prayer of an entire nation. And he breaks the silence that have been silent for 400 years, and he announces the most important thing is here's the angel. He announces the birth of the one who would someday save the entire world. And in about 33 years, he would save everybody. He would do something. This would be the beginning of a story that is so crazy, that is so unbelievable, that is so significant, that people are thinking to themselves, this is way too good to be true. And then someday he's announcing here on that day of a Savior who's going to come and someday save us here 2,000 years later from our sin. It's the greatest news in the history of the world. And Luke can't wait to tell it. And we're going to pick up here next week. Let's pray. God, we thank you um, for this story. We thank you for Luke as he dives in. He does the, the work. He does the research. He studies it. He talks. He interviews people. talks to all the eyewitnesses. And he puts us down in an orderly fashion. And God, we thank you for that. Um, Lord, way more than that, we thank you for coming and dying for us. You voluntarily gave up your life for us. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I'll never understand it. But Lord, I thank you because you saved us from our sin. We don't have to pay the penalty that we rightfully owe because of our rebellion against you. And God, we thank you so much for that. Lord, we ask that you would help us to remember that as we begin this Christmas season, as we start thinking about Christmas, we start thinking about how important this whole thing is. God, we thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We'll be